It is that name above all names in which we are looking to this morning. We're continuing our series on the last days of Jesus, in which we're looking at the final week, certain events and situations in the very last week of Jesus uh, as before he went to the cross. And today our uh, scripture passage is Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 44. I want to ask if you would please rise in honor and reverence for the reading of the Word of God. Luke 19, 41 through 44. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late, and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, as we look to your Son, as we try to understand him just a little bit more, God, may your Spirit open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears to hear and see and to take in all that you want us to take in. And so as we reflect upon Jesus, in an increasing way might he be reflected in our lives. May others see Jesus in us. As we know him more, we ask these things in his precious name. Amen. Please be seated. There has been for the past couple of years a movement in uh, biblical scholarship called the Quest for the Historical Jesus. And the idea is some each scholar who attempts this quest says, I'm going to really, really find out what Jesus is like. And, and, and they take their, their own stake, their own slant on what they feel like Jesus was about. Is that? Okay. Something. Did y'all hear something or was that just me? Okay. Some, some of you heard something. All right. Uh, <laughs> glad to know I'm not hearing things that others aren't hearing. Um, so Jesus... Um, through the ages, he's been seen in a, in a variety of different ways. And uh, some, of, some of folks see him um, as a strong conservative. Others see him as a liberal figure. Some see him as bold and mighty. Some see him as weak. Some see him as teacher. Some see him as prophet. And all these different views of Jesus. And um, this morning, I want us to look at the tears of Jesus. And when you look in the Bible about Jesus, you do not find on every page that he's weeping over this and that and the other. Uh, Jesus is, is not a crybaby. He's not constantly shedding tears. But on the other hand, Jesus is not stone-hearted. We do see three instances in the New Testament where Jesus weeps, where he cries. And so we see that all three of these happen to be, uh, two of them, uh, are in the last week of his life, and one of them uh, is just a few weeks before that. It comes to the end of life, and you know, sometimes we do get a little bit more emotional 
when the end of life is coming for one of our loved ones, don't we? We tend to, to say and express things that we might not normally say and express, and, and, and we feel things more deeply. And here Jesus, he sheds tears, he weeps. And we, this morning I just want us to think about these three occasions on which he weeps. The first one comes just a few weeks before his death, and it's one of the first verses I ever memorized. Not because it had deep or special meaning to me, but because in my church, we got rewards for learning Bible verses, and this was a real good one memorized. John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. Isn't that a great verse? I got credit. I got some candy or some credit or something for memorizing a verse of the Bible. John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. Uh, it, it is, from my understanding, either the shortest verse in the Bible or definitely one of the shortest verses in the entire Bible. And yet, it's a very powerful verse. Because it is there in the story of Lazarus. If you recall the story, his close friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, these siblings, they send message to Jesus, the sisters do. Lazarus is sick. Please come quickly. And he delays a couple of days. We actually find out that, that even if he had left right then, Lazarus would have already been dead when he got there. But by the time he got, gets there, Lazarus has been dead for four days. And all this time, the, the sisters have been waiting. Is Jesus going to come? And they are, when he finally meets them, they are weeping. And they say, come and see where his body is laying. And that's how we come to John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus wept. And the Bible says in verse 36 that those around who were watching said, see how he loved him when he sees those when they see those tears of Jesus. So our first instance of Jesus' tears come with him weeping for others' troubles and others' sorrow. Jesus wept over the brokenness of his friends. You know, one of the most important things that we can do is to be close to people, laugh when they laugh, rejoice when they rejoice, and weep when they weep. Now, some of you, this is very easy for, right? You're what I call a sympathetic crier. I mean, an AT&T commercial comes on, and they're the, you know, college student calling home to mom and dad. Oh, that's so sweet, you know. And, and you, just, you just cry at anything. I remember years ago, the movie Titanic, when it came out, I was about to go into that movie, and people just were coming out weeping. I got so scared. I mean, <laughs> you know. But some of us don't need to see a heart-wrenching thing like that. We just weep real easy. But others of us, we, we, we don't have a lot of waterworks going on there. And, and, and I'm not saying you're a bad person if you're not a crier. You know, there's been times in my life when I wanted to cry and couldn't. I mean, you know, maybe, I don't know if you've experienced this. You, grief can be a funky, weird thing. You want to cry. I mean, you're like, you think I should be, and I'm not. And then all of a sudden, some, some crazy situation out of the blue, and all of a sudden, you find yourself finally grieving. Grief doesn't follow a, a timetable, okay? So you're not a bad person if you don't cry when you think you should or when other people are. But I want to say that Jesus was sympathetic with the pain and sorrows of others. And I want you to know... Even though, now he did talk with the family, and, and he does end up saying, I am the resurrection and the life, okay? He does end up giving some reassurance there. But notice that he weeps. He doesn't first thing he meets the sister. It would have been easy for him of all people to say, oh, guess, don't, don't worry about this. There's hope. I've got it all. 
Why are you crying? You know I'm Jesus. I can fix this. And sometimes as Christians, there's things we can say that are so trite. They're so, you know, they're very churchy and religious. And yet, that person, it's not that they don't need the truth, but they need to feel your love for them. Right now, maybe a dose of theology isn't what is best for their souls, but rather them to know that you love and you care and you see their suffering and you participate in it with them. And that's what Jesus, if anybody had reason not to weep, Jesus could have said, I'm not crying. You know, I know this is all going to turn out all right. But Jesus loved Lazarus. He loved Mary. He loved Martha. He saw what they were going through, and he entered into that with them uh, in in a very deep level and so jesus tears here as an example to us he we see first that he is uh, weeping on behalf of the suffering of his friends the second time we see jesus weep is actually in the passage we just read it comes uh only luke gives us this little story by the way None of the other uh, gospel authors tell us about this. They all, you know, they tell us about the triumphal entry, and, and then we get to the, the, the cleaning of the temple when he runs those money changers out. But Luke inserts this little story here. And by the way, Luke is, he's typically the gospel author who more often shows uh, the emotions of people and people who are in need and such. And he gives us these uh, verses, 41 to 44, where Jesus stops and he looks at Jerusalem and he weeps because he knows what's coming. Jesus weeps over the lostness of the city of Jerusalem. He prophesies here what will come true about 40 years later, approximately 40 years later, uh, because we don't know exactly the date. People have have good, uh, well-educated guesses or theories, but we know pretty much the date close to it when he died, and then we know exactly when Jerusalem was destroyed. About 40 years later, Titus of Rome came in and besieged the city. They'd had enough of the Jewish uprisings, and they completely devastated the city. Uh, Jesus, uh, using a little bit of hyperbole, he said, not one stone will be left on another Uh, It was completely wiped out, completely devastated. You know, we look at the tornadoes that just came through, and and we look at a home, and we we can declare it a total loss when you still see some bricks there. You still see some, maybe some roof or this or that, but we know the damage is not even worth it to rebuild. Well, this damage was much greater. The Romans were ruthless in snuffing out rebellion. And they are tired, sick and tired of the Jewish rebellions that had taken place across the years. And they finally said, enough. And Jesus foresaw what was coming. He prophesied, if only you had known the way to peace. In other words, if they had at that time, the Jewish people had, had adopted, had taken Jesus at his word, he who himself was a Jew, who was the promised Messiah, if they would have said, yes, Jesus, yes, we gladly receive you, not just a small portion of people, but if the nation of, as a whole had taken Jesus, Jesus said, oh, this wouldn't have happened, what's coming? And you know, 
We can imagine at times prophets as they proclaim doom or destruction coming. We can sometimes get the impression that they were almost gleeful in their proclamations. That they were almost, ha ha, you people are all going to be destroyed. But we see the heart of Jesus. He wasn't happy about it. He didn't like what was coming. He was broken hearted because they did not accept him. And there were inevitable consequences that were coming. I want you to know today, if, if you're, here in, you're here in a religious place, you're here in a church, but you don't really know Jesus, I mean, you're not a Christian in your heart. Maybe you've been to church, maybe you're on a roll somewhere, but, but maybe you, don't, you really don't know Jesus, you really don't trust him, and, and you wonder about his motives and thoughts about him, and maybe, maybe you've had an idea in your mind that there's someone up there who wants to zap people just for fun. I want you to understand that that is not the God we serve. We serve a God who loves everyone he's ever created and a God who desires that all may be saved. And I want you to understand that if you have withheld yourself from him, that if you don't know him, that you don't believe in him, that Jesus is every bit as brokenhearted for you as he was for the city of Jerusalem. Jesus wept because of the lostness of people, people who were far away from him, did not know him. And he wept because he knew what was coming for all those who rejected him. So he wept over Lazarus, the pain of his friend. He wept over the city of Jerusalem, the lostness of it. And then finally, he, he wept over his own difficulties, over his own trials and fears. You know, in the Gospels, we read the story of the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus called out to the Father. And he talked to him about his will being done rather than Jesus' own will, but rather the Father's will. And we know from those passages that he even sweat drops of blood. His agony was so intense. But it's only when we come to the book of Hebrews that we actually see make this made plain what Jesus did there in the garden. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, it says, While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue from him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reference for God. As Jesus was there on the cross, or in, in the shadow of the cross, the night before, as he was there in the garden contemplating what he would do for you and I, Jesus was torn, not because he didn't know if he loved us. He loved us absolutely. And yet he had taken on human nature, and he knew that he would suffer greatly. We can't even imagine the suffering of the cross, but that physical suffering is only the small, smallest part of the suffering he faced. As he who knew no sin, who never had anything to do with sin, the Bible says, became sin for us, the holy of holy, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, he took on sin, and he was separated from the Father because of our sin. And in the garden, facing that death, even as he said, God, not my will, but yours, he called out to God. He wept. He cried out. 
And I think, I, I, I want to ask you, have you ever cried out to God? I, I don't mean in church. I know better in a Presbyterian church. Not many of us are going to cry out too much. But I'm talking about in your prayer closet. I, what I mean by that is when you're all alone. And so you might be in your car. You might be out walking in the woods. But wherever you go, whatever your time with God, and, and, and you really get alone with him, is it always, oh, God, it's a good day. I hope everything goes good today. And bless you, God. Or are there some times in your life when you are broken and you cry out to him and you say, God, I know your will is best, but I don't get this. God, I don't understand it. God, I can't do anything about it. And God, I need you. If you don't, maybe you've had a remarkably peaceful and easy life, or, or possibly, possibly, because we all run into troubles and fears and difficulties in life, possibly you haven't really acknowledged that God is big enough to hear all of your problems. That you don't have to hide things to him, from him, but you can open up and tell him everything. Your greatest hurts, your greatest fears, your greatest struggles. You can cry out to him just as Jesus did. And you know what? If you're in the woods, you might scare off a few squirrels. If you're going down the road, people might think you're crazy. They see you hollering in the car. But it doesn't matter. Because God is there to listen. Jesus wasn't a crybaby. He was a tough man. He was a carpenter. He was a go-getter. Um, I think all the time about Jesus clearing out that temple. But I think it's a wonderful contrast that we can understand that we can be both strong and sensitive. Jesus wept over the city and then was overturning tables and driving out the money changers with the whip in the very next passage of Scripture. And just because we stand strongly for what's right and we do things that are bold and courageous does not mean that we are to be stony-hearted. We ought to weep for those who weep. For those who are needing compassion around us, we ought to care. We ought to weep for the lostness of our world. When we look around and we see people who don't know Jesus or maybe they've gone far astray, it's not our time to gossip and judge them and talk about how bad they are. If we're going to talk about them, it should be our sorrow for them and that we're pleading God would bring them back. We weep. We do not laugh because we see their doom coming. We weep because we do not want to see it happen. We hope and we pray to God that he will turn them in the right direction. And then we're humble enough to come before God and say, God, you got this. I don't. And I don't understand it. I don't get it. I can't face this on my own. And we cry out to God wherever we are. And we say, God, I need you. Because if his son could do that, then we need to also. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you that you are not a God that is pictured by some, some religions who imagine a God who is stony, a God who is silent, a, a God who has no emotion, who cannot be hurt. God, you are a God who is vulnerable. 
you love us and care for us enough to open yourself. And God, you've called us to be the same way. To not live lives as stiff-necked, stubborn, hard-hearted people, but to love people around us. To open ourselves enough that we can change others, even though we may experience heartache and trouble at times. God, make our hearts be sensitive, coming to you with our own difficulties, coming to you with those of others, and especially for those who don't know you. Lord, may our hearts be soft, and may we have tears like the tears of Jesus. Father, we pray and we ask all these things in his precious name. Amen.